The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. And right now on Fast, a long, strange, and heart-stopping trip. It took us almost right back to where we started the week. So what did we learn and where do we go from here? Those are the questions we're going to tackle. Plus, after a wild week, our traders are putting together their week-ahead watch list from semis to Apple to interest rates and more, we will find out what's on their radar. And later, the chart of the week, a shopping behemoth that's dropped more than 7% this week and over 30% this year. See if you can guess it. The name and where it's headed is next. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, Jeff Mills, and Guy Adami. Gentlemen, welcome. I wish you were here. I'm so lonely here at this big desk where I haven't been in two years. You all are home in your places. I wish you were here where I could see your bright, shining faces. Let's begin the week, folks, with uh, the bruising week we had where we almost ended up exactly where we started on the Dow and the S&P. But there were a lot of bumps along the way. Meanwhile, for tech, the selling was more pronounced. The Nasdaq falling more than 6% in the last two days. So the question, folks, is where do we go from here? And Guy, I turn to you first. What do you think? I miss you, Tyler. And as you know, So Lonely, a great song by the police. And you need to call sort of the bond police because that's what's driving everything right now. And I, you're asking the question, where do we go from here? I think we can continue to go lower. I don't think it's over yet. I don't feel any panic whatsoever. It does not feel like capitulation to me. You know, Steve Grasso, who's there, has said 3,700. I think 3,750. It's a rounding error in terms of where we both think it's going. But I'll say this. In terms of valuation, you know, you put a 17 multiple on the $225-ish of S&P earnings, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Steve Grasso, since he mentioned your name and you've been saying down lower on the S&P, what do you think? Yeah, I, th I think that's right. I think 3,800 is where I'm focused uh, in on. I, I've, been, I've been talking about that level I think uh, if you look at where we're at in the S&P cash and where we came from around that 4,800 level, we still have some more wood to chop. Everyone is focused on 4,000. That means to me that it's wrong, Tyler. So <laughs> the big fat round number, the big fat round numbers is where everyone wants to put their chips. And I, it usually means that we can overshoot those levels. So a lot of this stuff is done through electronic trading. Electronics don't have the feel of a human being, which means that they can overshoot. For me, it's 3,800, but that could be a take a look and see to see if you get some support at that level. So 
I agree with Guy. I think we can go lower. I think you, you sort of have to hold on to some dry powder and, and, and see where the chips might fall once we get there. BK, you know, on, uh, on Wednesday, we heard from Chair Powell uh, that they weren't even talking about potentially doing a, a three-quarters of a point cut. Uh, and, and it seemed that day that everybody cheered that. That was the best news of the day. It's off the table. It's not being discussed. Then Thursday... We, we see the market reacts very, very differently. And today, in the last hour, Scott Wapner talks to, to Mr. Tepper, and Mr. Tepper said, boy, that was a blunder, taking 75 basis points off the table. They're boxed in now. Uh, they've got a credibility problem, and that's why the market is stumbling the way it is. So, how, so what do you think of what Tepper said, number one? And number two, how do we go from euphoria on Wednesday over the idea that the Fed has taken this number off the table to despair on Thursday and Friday about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, geez, Tyler, you got a couple hours because there's a lot in what you just asked there. Um, so let's let's start with whether or not the, the Fed is boxed in. You know what? Powell made a mistake. He shouldn't have said it. But it's not it's pretty easy to walk that back. We already saw it coming today. Some of the Fed governors out there had said, hey, listen, not, you know, I'd be in, I'd be up for a 75 basis point. So, yeah. It was a mistake. I don't think it was disastrous. I think there's other things going on. On Wednesday, we were on the desk. We talked about the fact, why was there a rally? The rally, in my view, only made sense if you thought about it this way. If you were short this market, thinking that you're going to get 75 basis points in June, then when they take that off the table for the time being, the odds of the 75 basis points came down, that triggers short coverage. That's all that that was. Then the reality set in. We had the Bank of England said, hey, you know what? We're going to have a recession. You had interest rates here in the U.S. start to move higher. You had oil prices start to move higher. And it all just started to fall down. So I don't think, I won't think at all the market was cheering anything on Wednesday. It was simply a mechanical kind of short covering in a market that the liquidity isn't that great. Jeff Mills, let me turn to you because this sell-off feels sort of, Texturally, with the texture of it feels different than recent sell-offs that we've lived through, whether it was the spring of 2020, which was steep and sharp and a fast reversal uh, moving back up, or sell-offs in the fall of, 28, uh, of 2018 when interest rates were rising, or the sell-off in the summer of 2011 when things came back fairly fast. This feels like, I'm going to go back to what Guy said and what Steve said, that we're not done yet with this sell-off and that the return, the return trip is going to look different too. What do you say? Yeah, this is more your typical bear market sell-off, right? You get these big up days and then big down days, sort of one step forward, two steps back. I feel like that's more you know, what we've been used to over a longer time period. 2020, very different. 2018, very different. But you know, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I think it's indicative of a market that really just doesn't know where to put multiples on a lot of these growth stocks that are high percentages of all of these indexes. Uh, you know, I did, I did send in a chart. It's not perfect, but I think it gives you a little bit of a guide as to where we are from a valuation perspective, because PEs, that's the most important thing right now. So it's a very simple chart. It's just the PE of the triple Qs against the 10-year treasury, not the real 10-year, just the regular 10-year treasury, and the 10-year is inverted on the chart. So go back to 2020, what did we see? We saw PE ratios fall, but at the same time, we saw interest rates rapidly fall. 
So of course, PE ratios slung back in the opposite direction and we saw a huge multiple expansion. We're sort of seeing the opposite today where yes, we've seen a re-rating in multiples in the triple Qs, but rates have risen substantially more. So I think there's more to catch up on the downside from a valuation standpoint. And the last thing I'll say, which I think is really interesting, a lot of these stocks that have outperformed, they've been the cyclicals because growth has been getting punished. So think about a, a UNP or a CSX or a URI or DEER or CAT. Look at the charts of all of these stocks. They are now all testing various support levels because I think what you're going to see is the economy slow, you're going to see interest rates peak, and then I actually think growth stocks, quality growth stocks with real earnings, real cash flow, end up being the trade between now and the end of the year. If you have to be long and you're thinking about how you want to be positioned, I think you want to be moving in that direction, buying that weakness. Quality growth stocks, he says, Guy. I heard uh, a comment on, on Scott's earlier show, the noon uh, halftime report. You've heard of that show, right, Guy? Mm -hmm. Halftime Very report. Very familiar you, with it, you, actually. You, you've Tyler, heard of it. Yes. So I heard someone say that this time around, don't look to, you've got to change your playbook. Don't look to the old market heroes to be the leaders of whatever comeback we have whenever we have it. That the leaders may, that the leadership of the next round up when it comes won't be the classic, the, the apples, the alphabets, the Facebooks. You've got to rethink that. Do you, do you, do you agree with that? Well, it's interesting. I mean, if you just look at Amazon, for example, it's not like it's traded particularly well. Forget about the last month. Look at it over the last year and a half. I mean, Google as well has not traded particularly well. So in a lot of ways, the argument's been made for you in terms of the way those stocks have behaved. And yeah, there'll be new leadership. I mean, we're going to talk about energy in a second. I'm pretty convinced that energy has been leadership, obviously not a huge portion of the S&P, but I think it can continue to be leadership. So yeah, you got to change your playbook. Listen, the Green Bay Packers won a lot of Super Bowls with Bart Starr running basically four plays. The league caught up to him, and I think that's why it's been happening here in the broader market. Yeah, Bart Starr, a great, the best teams, I, the most memorable teams of my lifetime, I got to say. All right, let's, since you brought up energy, the top performing sector yet again today pushed higher by big moves in nat gas and crude. Uh, and today, the only names, the only ones in the S&P to hit new highs, ConocoPhillips, Pioneer, Oxy Petroleum, Pippa Stevens is here to take us inside those numbers. Hey, Pippa. Hello, Tyler. Let's run through some of those numbers. U.S. oil posting a second straight week of gains, up 5% and hovering right around 110. Natural gas surging to the highest since August 2008 this morning. The contract did ultimately reverse those gains, but it's still around 8 bucks and rose 10% on the week. For the year, now up 113%. Now, one area that's really come into focus recently is diesel, with prices hitting new highs. The U.S.'s refining capacity has fallen in recent years, especially on the East Coast. And now Europe is also fighting for these products. Diesel's been called the workhorse of the economy since it powers tankers, trains, trucks and planes. So this is adding to inflation concerns across the economy. And take a look at this chart, which shows retail diesel prices, which have hit a new record every single day this week, now at $5.51, Tyler, according to AAA. Back to you. Wow, look at that number. Wow, let's trade this. Thank you, Pippa. Let's trade this. Who wants to jump in here? BK, why don't I start with you? What would you be doing now uh, in the energy sector? 
Yeah, it's the refiners. Every name you just mentioned out there is is the ones that are benefiting from this. Not only is the spread to make diesel increase, but also gasoline. Remember, this is the time of year where a lot of refineries switch from diesel to gasoline for the summer driving season. And what they're doing is they're actually delaying that switch so they can produce more diesel. Well, what that's going to do is make the spread on gasoline coming into the summer even wider. So I think you've got some runway on all of the refiners that you just mentioned. All right. How about you, Steve? What do you think? Yeah, I think this is sort of toppy for me. Well, a lot toppy for me. We've heard J.P. Morgan talk about, I think the number is $175 a barrel of crude. I think uh, with the headline coming out now that the U.S. has to replenish the strategic uh, uh, oil uh, petroleum reserve, I think that all says to me that even though BK brings up a great point about going into peak driving season, I think we've seen the worst for crude as far as spiking. So I think you want to be a seller of, the, uh, of these. And if you think of the market's going to rally again, energy is too small a percentage of the overall market to actually move the needle. So the market can, can continue to go down with energy actually going up. But I think energy has plateaued. So you think, you think ener- the run-up in energy shares is largely played and, the pri- and, the pri- and as that- is the run-up in the price of oil? I, yes, I, I think that come year end, we're going to see $65 for a barrel of oil. And, I, and you have to remember something, Tyler. We're going into midterm elections. And I know that this administration does not like fossil fuels. But in order for them to win on, in the midterms, the Democratic side, the price of gasoline has to be lower. The price of oil has to be lower. And uh, politics makes for strange bedfellows. And inflation has to be headed down. And we haven't yet seen, by the way, uh, the kinds of food price inflation that may be coming our way. Guy, what do you think of what Steve just said? I mean, do you see $65 uh, a barrel uh, oil by the year end? Listen, a lot can happen by year end. I mean, I'll be 75 at the end of this year, so I might probably forget about what I said (laughs) five minutes ago. I'll say this. You know, I think crude continues to grind higher. I mean, the fact that we traded down to 94 and were able to bounce from there very quietly, I don't think the crude trade is over. And the supply-demand fundamentals basically line up. Now, people, a lot of people will point to Russia, Ukraine as the catalyst for this. Yeah, maybe. What I've said for a while is the seeds were sown for this long before anybody was even talking about Russia, Ukraine. So I still think crude grinds higher. I think, to BK's point, the refiners have been the trade. Valero continues to make new highs seemingly every day. And some of these lever names like Phillips 66 continue to do the grind as well. So I wouldn't count out oil just yet. All right, gentlemen, we're going to take a quick uh, pause here. Up next, the week ahead watch list. Buckle up. Our traders are going to parse through the noise and pinpoint the most important report they're watching for, for clues on the market's direction and the health of the economy. And later, our chart of the week, delivering serious losses to investors. Whoops, that was a clue. More on that trade ahead on Fast money. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? 
Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. The street bracing for another wild week. Next week, earnings season resumes. Investors get key inflation data. So let's find out what is on our traders' week ahead watch list. Steve Grasso, you go first. Yeah, I always look at initial jobless claims, and I've looked at this for my whole career on Wall Street, Tyler. It's one of the few leading indicators in the pack of economic looks that we get from, uh, from the government. And now just think about what we've been talking about for the show for, this, for the last quarter, inflation. This is going to give us an insight to how the Fed sees inflation. Are they really knocking down inflation mentally and what that number really looks like? So paying close attention to it, especially in the environment that we're in currently. BK, what's your, what, what are you going to have your eyes on next week uh, apart from, uh, from inflation? You can't choose the same thing uh, that Steve yep. just did. I can't. I can't. Yeah, so I'll take the derivative of that, which is interest <laughs> rates, right? So uh, one, co one component of interest rates is the inflation expectation. And what we saw this week was when the 30- and 10-year bonds started to sell off, interest rates going higher, that's when the market really tanked. So for me, that's number one on my screen. I'm watching 10-year rates like a hawk for any indication, one of two ways, either that they're going to go higher or the bleeding has stopped and maybe things have stabilized. Yeah, and I think what was the uh, tenure today? 3.12. I think that's the highest since 2018, uh, back in uh, November of that year. Jeff Mills, what, what have you got your eye on for next week? So I know everybody wants to know what the market's going to do in the short term. I think whenever you're talking about that, it's all about price action. It's all about technicals. That's what's going to tell the tale to let you know if a rally's real, if a rally's not. And maybe the two prices that matter the most, at least in my mind, are Apple and Microsoft. You know, will they save the day? So far, they sort of have. They're 13% of the S&P 500, but now they're testing very interesting technical levels. Apple in particular, sort of having the battle of its life with that upward sloping line from October 2020. So we'll see what happens there. But just for context, you know, where could these stocks move and then what might that do to the index? You know, from a valuation perspective, if these stocks give back half of their valuation premium relative to their average, so they retrace about 50% of their PE multiples, that's 10% down for Microsoft, 17% down for Apple. Will they get there? I don't know, but I think that's a reasonable reference point for those two names that I think probably will still break. Watch Apple and Microsoft, says Jeff. How about you, Guy? Well, I'll be watching you every day next week Thank on Power you. Lunch because that's what I do, Tyler. I mean, that's Tripling one the thing. Tripling the audience right there. I'll also you be getting alone. a little more granular. Uh, semiconductors, <laughs> you know, the SMH, some of these individual semi-names. You know, Steve talks about it all the time. So much pull forward. Obviously, these stocks have not traded particularly well. AMD has effectively been cut in half since its all-time high. NVIDIA not trading well. You need stabilization in the semis in order for this broader market to find its footing. So... I will be watching the semiconductors, Tyler. I'm going to close this block with a real quick question, quick answer, Jeff Mills. If I am scared, is it too late for me to sell? Uh, the answer is generally yes. And my, my simple answer, and this is real advice, 
You don't want to have to be smart twice. I don't even like to have to be smart once, but you got to get out and you have to get back in. And I can't tell you how many people look smart in 2008, look smart in 2020, never got back in, missed out on a lot. You've got 50% of the S&P 500 down 20% or more. It's a hard game to play. Right. Oh, all right. Thanks, Jeff. Coming up, a major retailer posts big losses this week. So is this name primed? There's another clue. I got to stop doing that. Primed to pop. And later on Options Action, we'll take a look at gold after a big week of volatility. We're going to seek safety amid the selling. That trade ahead. Stick around. More fast money in two minutes time. Chart of the week. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to reveal it. It is Amazon. Down more than 7.5% this week, whopping 31% so far this year. The stock losing more than half a trillion dollars in market cap. That's the size of more than two Costco's, three times the size of a Nike. Steve, you recently bought Amazon. Yeah, so, so uh, when I look at the chart on Amazon, it, it, there's none of that can be denied. They announced a stock split, and a right-way stock split, 24 one stock split, usually is bought, Tyler, but it got so uh, brought into this whole sell-off of growth and the whole sell-off uh, of overvalued stocks during the pandemic. The stock went from 2,800 to 22 and change. For me, a 20% decline off of when they announced the stock split was enough for me to kind of dip my toe. I think you might have seen uh, the worst of the sell-off. Even if the market comes in, I think your downside is pretty limited, even though, of course, it can go further. But Amazon Web Services had year-over-year growth of 36% with margins roughly around 35%. $10 billion buyback. Don't focus on e-commerce. The thing that got this story going was AWS, and that started when the stock was $190. Guy, let me ask you what your thought on Amazon is. We were talking earlier today on the 2 o'clock program about about valuations. And if you look at the forward multiple on Amazon, it's still triple digits. Still expensive. But, you know, in terms of absolute, listen, yes, it's expensive. It's not nearly as expensive as it was as Zenith. And I think a lot of people would have begged to be able to buy the stock at 2,800. Now you're getting this opportunity here. And if you have a long-term horizon like Steve does, I mean, yeah, maybe you have another 7 8% to the downside on a lousy tape, but you, you've been begging for this for so long. People would have given their you know, right leg to be able to buy Amazon at these levels. Now it's here. I think now's the time. All right, there you go. There's the call on Amazon. Let's go around the horn. It's time for our final trades. BK, you get to go first this time. What's your final? Excellent. So one name that's held up pretty well and one name that I am long is Campbell's Pork and Beans. CPB, you get cushioned with a nice dividend as well. Steve, how about you? Your last shot. So, you know, I, I, when I was looking at buying something today on this on a down tape, it was either Amazon or Tesla. I think Shanghai is getting better for Tesla. And I also think that with the Twitter uh, proposed purchase of Elon Musk, people were trying to overestimate how much of Tesla stock he had to sell. So I think we're getting through to some clarity there. So I think Tesla is actually a buy here. Although, as the guy said before, in an ugly tape, maybe you have a little bit more room to the downside, but Tesla's my final. All right, you, Jeff, you're next. So I take a look at Disney here. I don't know that I'd buy it into earnings. The Netflix report obviously makes me a little bit nervous about streaming, but once it gets to that $100 level, that looks like big-time support to me. 
And Guy, you get to run the anchor leg. We got about 20 seconds. Well, Tyler, you know I dig you. I miss you. I'd love to be there with you. But you know what? It's always an honor to have CNBC royalty host APA Corp next week, Tyler. That's the one. All right. Thank you, guys. That's it for Fast Money. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.